Thanks for your company. I'm Dr. Barry Harker and this is The Bible Teaches. We are continuing the search for certainty with Pastor Danny Malenkov. This is the 12th program in the series. Hello again, Danny. Good day, Barry. Danny, where are we going in the series today? Well, today we're continuing on where we left off last week. Last week we identified the Antichrist power. Today we're going to discover the two marks at the end of time, the seal of God and the mark of the beast, a subject of all importance for those who are preparing for the coming of Jesus. And I think this is reflected in, in our surveys. This is one of the topics that people most want to know about. Absolutely, and a topic where there's more confusion than almost any other subject on Bible prophecy. Well, God bless you as you try to sort out the confusion today. Thank you, Barry. Welcome to The Search for Certainty. Today's message is entitled, The Seal of God and the Mark of the Beast. I'd encourage you to pick up your Bible and to follow the Scriptures with me, as many as you're able to, as we unpack this all-important message from God's Word. So let's pause for a moment and ask God to bless us as we spend time in His Word. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your Word. Father, we humbly ask and pray in the name of your precious Son, Jesus, that through the power of your Holy Spirit that you have promised to send, to illuminate our minds and to give understanding to our hearts. We pray that as we open your word, you will open our hearts and minds that we may be able to discern and understand the precious truths that you would like to communicate to us this day. O Lord, we claim the promise in your word that if we abide in your word, we will indeed know the truth, the beautiful truth of Jesus that sets us free. So Lord, please, We need the truth. We need the truth on this all-important topic. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, my friend, I want to begin by going to the very heart of Revelation. I just would like to give uh, you a brief overview, an aeroplane view, if you like, of the heart of the book of Revelation. Revelation has 22 chapters. And at the very heart of the book of Revelation, we find chapters 12, 13 and 14. In chapter 12, we have the history of the Christian church from the time of Christ all the way to the very end. And in the very last verse of chapter 12, we have the dragon who is Satan, who is enraged with the woman. You can find this in verse 17 of chapter 12. And he goes out to make war with the woman or with God's church at the end of time. And it describes God's people at the end of time as those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, how does Satan or the dragon go to make war? Well, in Revelation chapter 13, we have a description of how he seeks to deceive and destroy God's end time people, God's end time truth, so that the truth about God and his love will not be shared with the whole world in preparation for the second coming of Jesus. We have these two powers that arise. One beast or one kingdom, one power arises out of the sea. That's the first half of Revelation 13. And then there is another power, another beast, another kingdom that arises out of the earth. And these two powers come together and they war against God's people. Now, not all will capitulate. Not all will be deceived. Not all will be coerced. For in chapter 14, we have God's plan of saving this world through his truth, through his messengers who are described in Revelation 14. They are described 
their character is described in Revelation 14 verses 1 to 5. Then the message they are to preach is described in verses 6 to 12, which is the three angels' message. And this is all so that the harvest may be ready which is the last part of Revelation 14, which ushers in the coming of Jesus. So here we have God's plan for this world summed up in the very heart of Revelation. So we want to go to the very heart of Revelation. And if you have your Bible, I'd invite you to follow with me as I begin reading from Revelation 14, verses 9 to 11. This is the third angel's message. This is part of the everlasting gospel, the gospel that must go to all the world to prepare the world for the second coming of Jesus. And here we find the most serious warning given in all of Revelation. Many believe in all of Scripture. Notice these words, Revelation 14 and verse 9. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice. And that word there, loud, in the original language, is the word uh, is the word phone, or mega, I should say, and voice, phone, megaphone voice. If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Verse 11. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Notice how serious this warning is. God is absolutely crystal clear. If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives the mark of the beast on his hand or in his forehead, he will receive the full wrath of God, which is poured out full strength. So God is saying, whatever you do, do not under any circumstances receive the mark of the beast. For to receive the mark of the beast is to be lost at the end of time. I'd love to have the time to unpack what the wrath of God really means. But in a nutshell, in essence, the wrath of God is simply those who have chosen to to disconnect themselves from the life source of the universe. God is the life source of the universe. And those who disconnect themselves from Him suffer the wrath of God or suffer eternal death, eternal non-existence. And so God is warning the whole world not to receive the mark of the beast. Now, would God say to us, do not receive the mark of the beast under any circumstances and then not make it abundantly clear what the mark of the beast is? That's not how God works. That's not how God operates. Time and again, we have discovered that God tells us the truth ahead of time. He doesn't want his people, his faithful, sincere, truth-seeking people not to know or, or to be deceived or to be in doubt. Notice what the book of Amos says. Amos chapter 3, verse 7. Surely the Lord God does nothing. How much? Nothing, unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. The Bible is absolutely crystal clear. Before God does anything in this world that affects the eternal salvation of his Precious children that live here on planet Earth, he will make it abundantly clear through his servants, the prophets. Now, worship. 
Let's talk about worship for a moment. We've spoken about worship on a number of occasions. We've discovered that that word worship appears here in chapter 13 and chapter 14 no less than eight times. Seven times in connection with worshiping the beast and one time in connection with worshiping the creator God. Now, worship is the key issue in the book of Revelation. Over and over again, the word worship appears in the book of Revelation. In fact, worship is the key issue in all the Bible. The very first war in heaven took place over worship. You'll remember Lucifer, the, lead, the leading angel that God created, wanted to be worshipped. He wanted to be just like God and receive the worship that belongs to God alone. He deceived Adam and Eve into believing they too could be God and they too could deserve worship. Worship, worship, worship. Worship has been the key issue. The first murder was over worship when Cain killed his brother Abel. And the final battle will be over worship also. Who will we give our allegiance to? That is the all-important question at the end of time. There are only two powers, my friends. There are only two choices, and you can make one of two choices. You can either choose to serve and worship God, or you can choose to serve and worship His enemy, your enemy, and that is Satan. It's either Jesus Christ or Satan. That is the choice that each one must make. Now, let's take a look at these three all-important questions that come out of the third angel's message. Firstly, we need to discover who is the beast. Secondly, what is the image of the beast? And thirdly, what is the mark of the beast? Now, the next time we're together, we're going to unpack what the image of the beast is. But today, we're going to focus on what is the mark of the beast. But before we unpack this message of the mark of the beast, let's remind ourselves of who this beast power is that Revelation 13 speaks of. We've already discovered, and we don't have time to take a look at the identification marks today. We did that in our previous presentation. But the Bible describes this beast and identifies this first beast of Revelation 13 that comes up out of the sea that has seven heads and ten horns that is like a leopard and a bear and a lion and receives power from the dragon or from Satan, this power is none other than the Roman church state or the, or the Roman papacy as it is known today. So let's ask the question, what then is the mark of the Roman church? What is the authority of the Roman church? If we understand that, and if we have the answer to that all-important question, then we will have the answer to the mark of the beast or the mark of authority of the Roman church state. Well, if you go to Google, and many of us, I'm sure, have been to Google to find information. If you go to Google and you punch in the words, the mark of the beast, which I have done on several occasions. In fact, just last night, in preparation for this message, I punched in the mark of the beast. And this is what I received last night. There were 75,400,000 websites that had something to say about the mark of the beast. Now, let me ask you, how can a person, how can a person who, who lives 70, 80 or 90 years ever 
have the chance of going through all these websites in order to discover what the mark of the beast was. And these numbers are just growing. Last year, when I punched in the mark of the beast, there were 74 million, 700,000 hits. And this year, it's gone up by almost a million. It's almost impossible. And most people have given up altogether on understanding what the mark of the beast is. There are many ideas and many theories um, out there in books and DVDs and especially on the Internet. On the Internet, there are thousands and, and millions of different ideas and theories on what the mark of the beast is. Some believe it's some kind of electronic chip um, that will be placed in the person's forehead or in their hand, something that will be tattooed. Um, Then there are barcodes, some invisible laser tattoo that is um, put into the skin or underneath the skin. And so there is a whole host of different ideas of what the mark of the beast can be. Now, my friends, we're not going to go to Google today. We're not going to go to the DVDs. We're not going to go to the various books that have been printed. Today, my friend, we are going to go to the book of books. We are going to go to the Bible. We are going to discover from what from God's Word what the mark of the beast is. And it will be so clear. It'll be as clear as the nose on your face. It'll be crystal clear. And you will have no doubt whatsoever. Now, before we get to the mark of the beast, I want to give you an opportunity to understand how not to get the mark of the beast. That's right. How not to get to the mark of the beast. You you will discover that in the book of Revelation, there are two groups. One group is sealed with the seal of God, and that appears only on the forehead, not on the hand, only on the forehead. The other group has the mark of the beast on the forehead or on their right hand, as we have read in Revelation 14. Now, if you are sealed with God's seal, you cannot receive the mark of the beast. If you receive the mark of the beast, you do not have, have the seal of God. These two are opposites just like oil and water. Now, what's most important, my friend, is for us to discover how not to get the mark of the beast. For example, many of us would be aware of this deadly Ebola virus that has claimed the lives of thousands there in in West Africa. Would you like for me if Ebola broke out here in Australia or wherever you may be, would you rather me tell you all about the symptoms of Ebola? Or would you rather me share with you how you can avoid contracting Ebola? Which one would it be? Well, I'm sure you'd rather know how not to get the Ebola virus rather than find out all about the Ebola virus. There's no point in, in, in knowing all about the virus if you still contract it at the end. So let's find out how not to get the mark of the beast. Well, if we receive the seal of God, as I've pointed out, we cannot receive the mark of the beast. Now, where in Revelation do we find God's seal? Well, if we go back a few pages, we're in Revelation 14. Go back a few pages with me to Revelation chapter 7. And in Revelation chapter 7, here John describes... The seal of God. Revelation chapter 7 and verse 1. After these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or any tree. 
Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. There it is, the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Notice here a very clear command by God to the angel. Do not harm the earth or the sea. This is in reference to the seven last plagues being poured out which you can read in Revelation. Do not harm the inhabitants of the earth by pouring out those seven last plagues until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. So here God's servants are described as those who have the seal of God on their foreheads at the end of time. Now in Revelation chapter 14 verse 1, we have a parallel passage And here it describes those who have the seal of God. But notice the language here that is used. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 1. Then I looked, writes John, and behold a lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000 having his father's name written on their foreheads. So in Revelation chapter 7, we have the seal of God written in the foreheads of the servants of God. Here in Revelation 14, 1, we have the father's name written on their foreheads. So the father's name is synonymous with the seal of God because both are written on the forehead of those who are the servants of God. And we know who they are in Revelation 14, for in verse 4 it tells us, these are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. God's faithful servants who have the seal of God, who have the Father's name written on their foreheads, are those who follow the Lamb. Who is the Lamb? That's right, the Lamb is none other than Jesus Christ. They follow Jesus Christ wherever He will lead them. They are faithful to Jesus Christ. Now, a name in the Bible represents character. So when it says, here are those who have the Father's name written on their foreheads, it's describing a people who in character have chosen to be just like God, have have chosen to be just like Christ. To use an old-fashioned word, they have chosen to be godlike. Or they have chosen godliness, as the Bible calls it. They have chosen to be like Christ, Christ Christ-likeness. They have chosen to be just like Christ. And what does the Bible say about God? What does the Bible say about Jesus? The Bible describes God in three words. God is what? God is love, 1 John 4, 8. And the Bible tells us, Jesus in fact told us, that Love is summed up in those two powerful principles of God's law. Love towards God and love towards your neighbor. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, said Jesus. And then we have the Ten Commandments. The first four dealing with love towards God and the last six dealing with our love towards our fellow neighbor. So God's law and God's character are synonymous. In fact, If you take a look at the descriptions of God, who is merciful, just, loving, kind, and so on and so forth, and you take a look at the descriptions that describe God's Ten Commandment law, you'll discover that they are identical. God's law, my friend, is synonymous with God's character. That's very, very important, and we'll come back to that in just a little bit. Well, let's take a look at a seal. What, in fact, is a seal? 
Well, a seal authenticates a document. Seals come to us all the way from ancient times. And in fact, there are many ancient seals that you can find in the various museums of the world. I've been to a number of these museums that have incredible archaeological um, exhibits uh, that you may look at. I've been to the British Museum, and there there are a number of, of ancient seals. And an ancient seal is an official government document or or an official document that that is authenticated by the person who gives the document. And so the person places their seal. A seal has three elements, namely the name of the person, their title, and their dominion. On the Australian coin, I'm not sure where you are, where you are listening to this. Um, You may have it on your coin in the country that you reside in, but certainly in Australia, on the coin, we have an official seal. That is, we have the name. We have Elizabeth II. We have the title given to us by a crown that she is wearing. So it's Queen Elizabeth II, and we have her dominion, Australia is written there on the coin. So Elizabeth II, her name, her title, she's queen, there's a crown on her head, and her dominion, Australia. Every major government leader has a seal. The United States president, he has a seal. President, his title, and the United States of America, his dominion. In fact, I have a seal as well. When I sign off, On the letters that I send as a minister, I place my name there, Danny or Daniel Malenkov, my name, my title, minister, my dominion or the place where I have authority, which is currently the Canwell and the Blue Haven Seventh-day Adventist churches. So this is nothing unusual, and we use seals today. Now, the question is, where in God's word do we find his seal? Notice what the book of Isaiah says. Chapter 8, verse 16 tells us, Bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples. Let me read those words again. Bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples. So where are we to find God's seal? According to Isaiah, we are to find it in God's law. That's where it is to be found, in his law. His disciples will keep his law. So without any further ado, let's go to the Ten Commandments. Do you remember where they are found in the Bible? Yes, that's right. They're found in Exodus chapter 20. So go over with me to Exodus chapter 20. And God says that we are to look for his seal there in his law. You'll remember just a few moments ago, I shared with you that God's character his name, his character is synonymous with his Ten Commandment law. So if God's name is written in the forehead of his believers, that means God's law will be written in their foreheads. Does that make sense? The two go hand in hand. Well, let's take a look at God's law. As we take a look at these Ten Commandments, we need to find the commandment that has all three elements of a seal contained within it. Do you remember what those three elements were? The name, title, And dominion. There is only one commandment, only one commandment that has all three elements of the seal 
contained within it. And that is the fourth commandment. That's right. It's the Sabbath commandment. Let's notice what the Sabbath commandment says, beginning in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. Now let's drop down to verse 11. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Now read that very quickly. But the seal is to be found there in verse 11. You may or may not have picked it up. Let me read it to you once more. And let's see if you can pick up where those three elements are. What were they? Name, title, and dominion. I'll read verse 11 once again and see if you can pick them up before I point them out. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. And rested the seventh day. Did you pick them up? I'm sure some of you did. But for those who are still not quite sure, even as you're looking at your Bible, and I'm sure some of you are probably looking in your Bibles as I'm speaking, let's notice these three elements. Firstly, the name. Do we have a name here in verse 11 in the fourth commandment? Yes, we do. The Lord. There is his name. Do we have a title? Yes, we do. Made. What does the word made signify? It signifies that the Lord is the creator. If you make something, you create something. If you make a cake, you create a cake. The Lord, his name, his title, he is the creator because he made. And what is his dominion? Heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. There you have it. God's seal right there in the heart of the Ten Commandments. God's seal to be found amongst his disciples in the very heart of his law. The fourth commandment, the commandment that begins with remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. No wonder God said remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Something Incredible. I went over to Revelation 14:7, and as I was comparing Revelation 14:7 with Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, I discovered something absolutely incredible. In fact, of the 404 verses that we find in the book of Revelation, many, if not most of them, borrow language from the Old Testament. Do you want to guess from the book of Revelation? What is the scripture that borrows most heavily from the Old Testament and where? Would you like to guess where that is? That's right. It's Revelation 14.7. Revelation 14.7 borrows from the Sabbath commandment more language than any other part of the book of Revelation. Isn't that incredible? Well, let's take a look at Revelation 14.7. Let's find out if we can find God's seal there as well. Revelation 14, 7 says, Fear God and give glory to him and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Can you see the, the absolute clear similarities between what I've just read and what we read in Exodus chapter 20, verse 11? Notice the three elements. Do we have God's name? Absolutely. Fear God. There is his name, God. And give glory to him and worship him who made. There is the second element, his title, creator. He is the maker. 
And the third element, dominion, yes, we have it there, heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. I went over to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 3 where we have the Sabbath given by God for the very first time to the human race. And there we have God's seal also. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 3. Then God, there is his name, blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work. There we go. His create. His creating ability, his work, all that he had made. He rested from all his work, which God had created and made. All his work, heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water, which God had created. There it is in simple English. He's the creator. So we have God's seal in the Sabbath. So to recap, how are we sealed? We are sealed by God placing the Sabbath seal in our foreheads and in our hearts. That's right. The seal of God is the seventh day Sabbath. Now, how are we sealed? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, the Apostle Paul writes, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So who is it that seals us? It's the Holy Spirit that seals us. It's the Holy Spirit that will seal God's truth, that will seal God's Sabbath truth in our hearts and in our minds. The Holy Spirit is not the seal of God. However, the Holy Spirit seals us with God's seal, which is the Sabbath. You see, my friends, the Sabbath is an outward sign between God and his people. The Sabbath is God's outward symbol that signifies your allegiance to God, my allegiance to God. In the same way that two individuals give one another a wedding ring on their wedding day as an outward sign that they belong to one another. Now, you may very well have a a wedding ring on your hand that signifies that you belong to your wife or that you belong to your husband. It's a sign, a clear sign to everyone that you are not available, that you are taken. My wife, she has a wedding ring on her hand signifying that she belongs to someone. And so when you keep the Sabbath day holy... You are saying to all the world in a very public, in a very outward manner that you belong to God. You were created by your creator. You serve and worship him. That's what the Sabbath is all about. At the end of the day, the Sabbath is all about you and I coming together and worshiping our creator God, worshiping the one who not only created us, but as we've discovered, the one who saved us. And so we come together and worship on the Sabbath day. Exodus chapter 31, verse 13, the Bible says, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, this is God speaking, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations. A sign. The word sign and seal are interchangeable. Verse 17, It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. Now, you may be thinking, well, that was a sign between God and his children, Israel. That doesn't have much to do with me. I'm a New Testament Christian. Well, my friends, you may remember 
that the Apostle Paul spoke of those who belong to Abraham. Those who belong to Christ, I should say, are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Those who belong to God are part of modern-day Israel. They are part of God's children all around the world who are referred to as modern-day Israel or spiritual Israel or the, or the children of Abraham. Notice verse 17 goes on in Exodus 31. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And once again, in those words, there we have God's three-part seal. Here is the truth, my friends, and please don't miss this. Please do not miss this. This is so, so important. So if you have been nodding off or you haven't really been tuned in up until this point, now is the time to tune in. This is an all-important truth that I want to state very, very clearly, and it comes to us straight out of the book of Revelation, from the heart of Revelation, the third angel's message. If you keep all of God's Ten Commandments, including the fourth, the Sabbath, you cannot possibly get the mark of the beast. Now, how do I know that for sure? Well, let's take a look at how the third angel's message ends. The last two verses of the third angel's message. The third angel's message is from verses 9 of chapter 14 of Revelation all the way through to verse 12. Notice verses 11 and 12. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Did you notice there are two groups described here in the third angel's message? There is one group who worships the beast and his image and receives the mark of his name. There is another group who is described as those who are patient saints who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. So the commandments of God are in contrast to worshiping the beast and receiving the mark of the beast. Can you see that? It is as clear as crystal. That is why Satan hates God's commandment-keeping people, and he always has, because God's commandments are a transcript of his character. And Satan hates the character of God. And so he seeks to turn people away from God's character of love. That's why in Revelation 12, 17, the Bible tells us that the dragon or Satan was angry with the woman or the church that keeps the commandments of God and has the testimony of Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 22 and verse 14, Satan is angry with God's commandment-keeping people because there we are told that those who do his commandments will enter through the gates into the city, the new Jerusalem, whereas outside the city, in verse 15, are those who are the commandment breakers. So if you keep all of God's Ten Commandments, my friends, you cannot possibly get the mark of the beast. You cannot possibly get it. Now, what is the mark of the beast? Now that we've discovered what the seal of God is, that the seal of God is his Sabbath, it will be absolutely elementary for us to understand what the mark of the beast is or the mark of authority 
of the church of Rome, who is this first beast power in the book of Revelation chapter 13. Now, what is the mark of the beast? That's a very important question. We're going to take a break. Don't go away. And when we come back, we will discover what the mark of the beast is, and it will be as simple as simple can be. If you have any questions or comments in relation to today's program, you can call 3ABN Australia Radio within Australia on 02 4973 3456 or from outside of Australia on country code 612 4973 3456. Our email address is radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. That is radio at the number 3ABN Australia, all one word, .org.au. Our postal address is 3ABN Australia Inc., PO Box 752, Morissette, New South Wales 2264 Australia. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. Welcome back, my friends. We finished off by asking the question, what is the mark of the beast? Or what is the Church of Rome's mark of authority? That is what we're after. That is what we need to know. Well, in order to answer that question, we need to go to the book of Daniel. We need to remind ourselves of what God said, this power that in Daniel chapter 7 is referred to as the little horn power, what this power would seek or aim to do. In Daniel chapter 7 and verse 25, we have these words written. He, that is, this little horn power, shall intend to change times and law. In the book of Daniel, we have very, very clear instruction given to us by God some two and a half thousand years ago that the day would come when there would be a power, a political, religious power that would seek to change God's laws, that would seek to tamper with God's holy law and God's holy times. Now, as we have discovered in our previous presentation, this little horn power is none other than the Roman church state. Now, before I continue on, I need to state once again what I shared earlier on, what I shared in our last presentation. God here is not seeking to do anything other than to identify this power, this power that has taken on board the prerogatives that belong to God and God alone. God here is not singling out individuals, individuals that belong to the Roman Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church that has more than one billion members scattered all around the world, men and women, boys and girls, who love the Lord with all their heart. Men and women, boys and girls, who love God's truth, who study His Word, who are faithful to Christ, who are living up to all the light or all the biblical knowledge that they have. God here is not pointing His finger at individuals. 
God loves all people. And there are many sincere, God-loving, God-fearing Christians amongst the Roman Catholic Church. Many, many, and God only knows how many. In fact, my friend, God has his children in all denominations all around the world. In fact, God has his children in all religions, amongst the Buddhists, amongst the Hindus, amongst the Muslim people, amongst the New Ages, amongst even the atheists, agnostics. God has his faithful children in every part of the world, in every religion of the world. God loves all people. But my friends, God loves us too much. He loves us too much to allow us to believe a lie, to, to, uh, to bring us to the point of deception. God doesn't want anyone deceived. The Bible is clear. Jesus is clear. Jesus said, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus is in the, in the work of presenting before us his truth. And his truth is found in his word. That's what John 17, 17 says. Jesus said, Father, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. And so let's be clear. God here is identifying a system, a system that has set itself up in the place of God. We discovered in the last presentation that God alone is God. And that God alone is able to forgive sins. Yet the church, sadly, has placed itself in the, in, in the place of God, claiming that the Pope is God on earth, claiming that the church has God-given authority to change God's holy law. In fact, let me share with you this statement. I shared this the previous time we were together, this is from the Catholic Ferraris Ecclesiastical Dictionary, an official Catholic Church dictionary. This is what it says. The Pope is of so great authority and power that he can modify, change, or interpret even divine laws. Speaking of the Ten Commandments. The statement goes on. The Pope can modify divine law since his power is not of man but of God and he acts as vicegerent of God upon the earth with most ample power of binding and loosing his sheep. A very clear statement by the church claiming that it has the prerogatives that belong to God alone. The convert's catechism of Catholic doctrine I have one in my possession by Reverend Peter Gierman, uh, originally published in 1930. My copy is the 1977 republished edition. There we have a question and answer section. Question, why do we observe Sunday instead of Saturday? Answer, we observe Sunday instead of Saturday because the Catholic Church transferred the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. You may be wondering, why? Well, the question is asked, have you any other way of proving that the church has power to institute festivals or precept? The answer, this is, this is from Stephen Keenan, a doctrinal catechism, 
published in 1876, the answer, had she not such power, she could not have done that in which all modern religionists agree with her. She could not have substituted the observance of Sunday, the first day of the week, for the observance of Saturday, the seventh day, a change for which there is no scriptural authority. So the church here very clearly states, my friend, that the church by its own power, by its own authority, has changed the day of worship from Saturday to Sunday. So in essence, the church is saying that the mark of our authority is Sunday, Sunday worship. We have changed God's holy law. Well, that were my words, but let's go to the words of the church. In the Catholic Record of London, Ontario, Canada, September 1, 1923, these words were published. Notice these words. Sunday is our mark of authority. The church is above the Bible, and this transference of Sabbath observance is proof of that fact. Wow, that is a huge titanic statement. Did you, did you, did you get that? If you didn't, let me share that with you one more time. This is from the Catholic Record of London, Ontario, Canada, written in September 1, 1923. These are the words. Sunday is our mark of authority. The church is above the Bible, and this transference of Sabbath observance is proof of that fact. Wow. So the church is saying that its mark of authority is that it transferred the day of worship from Sabbath to Sunday. Absolutely crystal clear. The church has just openly come out and shared that. So Sunday, my friends, is the mark of the beast. Sunday is the mark of the church's authority. Now you may be thinking, does anyone have the mark of the beast today? Does that mean that Everyone and anyone who is worshipping on Sunday today has the mark of the beast. Is that what you're saying, Danny? Well, let's find out what the Bible actually says. Because it doesn't really matter what I say. And with all due respect, it doesn't really matter what you say or what you think. It matters only what God says and what God says in his word. Well, let's find out regarding the mark of the beast and when the mark of the beast will be enforced. Verse 16 and verse 17 of Revelation chapter 13. So just go back a chapter. We were in Revelation 14. Go back a chapter to verse 16 of Revelation 13. Notice these words. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So notice, the Bible is clear. There is a day coming when no one, be they slave, be they free, be they rich, be they poor, be they great, or be they very weak, no one will be able to buy or sell unless they are willing to follow this institution of the Church of Rome which is Sunday worship. You will not be able to buy or sell. Now, I don't worship on Sunday. I worship on the day that God has given us to worship, and that is the seventh day, the Sabbath day or Saturday. 
Now, can I buy and sell today? Absolutely. I'm able to go and purchase petrol. I'm able to go and purchase my groceries. So this has not been enforced. Does anyone have the mark of the beast today? The answer is a clear no. Did you hear me? No. Not one single person has the mark of the beast today. But the day is coming when this worship issue will be brought to the fore before the entire world. And we're going to deal with how that will all take place the next time we are together, when we deal with the image of the beast. But the day will come when unless you are willing to worship on Sunday and to give honor to the false Sabbath, you will not be able to buy and sell. And thereby you will receive the mark of the beast in your forehead you may the forehead represents those who are deceived believing that this is God's will or in the right hand the right hand a symbol of works a symbol of compulsion a symbol for those who will not want to go along with this worship law that will be enforced right around the world but will for the sake of buying and selling, for the sake of putting bread on their table. My friends, I would rather put my faith and trust in God. How about you? I would rather put my faith and trust in God's provision that God will provide. Psalm chapter 91 will be a precious psalm in those end times for those that put their faith and trust in God. Well, let me ask the question. Is there a growing call to keep Sunday holy? I could give you statement after statement after statement, but we don't have time. But in the United States, there are prominent religious leaders that are calling on the president, calling on Congress to make federal laws to amend the Constitution that provides for freedom of religion, that a man, a woman is able to worship according to the dictates of their conscience, seeking to amend this constitution in order to establish a national day of rest. And I don't need to give you two guesses as to what day that national day of rest is suggested that it should be. In fact, various popes from Pope John Paul II to Pope Benedict and today we have Pope Francis. They are all advocating that this world, that society needs Sunday rest, that we need to stop. We need to spend time with our families. Families are disintegrating. Families are falling apart. And we all know that to be true. Marriages are falling apart. People are overworked. People are overstressed. People are depressed. People are anxious. And the list goes on and on and on. And many good reasons on the surface, many good reasons are given why we need to take one day off each week. And the day that is brought up to the surface time and time again is Sunday, the day when, when we need to stop and we need to spend time on those things that are important to worship God, to spend time with families, just to relax, to go out in nature, spend time with the children, close the shops, close the sporting events, close the workplaces, and let's spend time on those things that really matter. 
In fact, I came across this very interesting website, um, and there's um, a, a movement. I'm not quite sure where it is. I think it might be there in the UK, and uh, the website was entitled Keep Sunday Special. They did a survey. And they discovered that 87% of people think it is important for family stability and community life to have a common day off each week. Now, Muslims, they worship on Friday. Jews, Seventh-day Adventists, and many other Bible-believing Christians worship on the Seventh-day Sabbath Saturday. The majority of Christians worship on Sunday. So does that mean we're going to have three days off each week? Wouldn't that be nice? I'd love that. I'd put my hand up for three days off. We can't have three days off. The economy will grind to a halt. But at least we can have one day off is what the argument is. Keep Sunday special. Today, in many European countries, you can no longer go shopping on Sunday in the large department stores. In fact, from the part of the world that I am, I'm from Macedonia, as I may or may not have pointed out. Um, just up the road from Macedonia is the, I guess, the country now of Croatia. It all used to be one, the former Yugoslavia. But I discovered um, in 2008 this very, very interesting, very interesting headline. And the title was Sunday Shopping Banned in Croatia. This was uh, back in 2008, July 15, 2008. From USA Today. And, and this were, these were the opening words of the article. The Croatian parliament has passed a law forcing shops to close on Sundays in a concession to the Roman Catholic Church. Wow, did you get that? In a concession to the Roman Catholic Church. Now, the majority of, of, of people in Croatia um, adhere to the Roman Catholic faith. Just recently in Hungary... Um, the government there uh, made a law to close shops um, on Sunday. The great, the big department stores that would allow for for certain shops to be open at airports and hospitals and, and a few other stores um, of convenience that the government thought uh, was necessary that they remain open. But by and large, the big shopping centres, the big Westfields, and whatever you have, um, they were to be closed except for a few Sundays in the year before Christmas. Today, there is more and more debate. Should we keep one day holy? Should we rest on one day? Today, my friends, the issue is worship. Will you worship Jesus Christ, who is your creator? Or will you worship the creature, ultimately Satan, who gives his power and authority and who works through this system at the end of time that we have discovered is the Roman church state. And by the way, as I pointed out the last time we were together, this is nothing new. I'm not sharing with you something that hasn't been shared before. What I have shared with you regarding who this Antichrist, who this beast power is, who this opposing power of God's truth and God's law is, especially at the end of time. This has been shared by various reformers down through time. The Martin Luthers, the John Wycliffe's, the John Husses, the William Tyndale's and many others. They also identified the Roman church, the Roman Catholic church as as the Antichrist of Bible prophecy. So you and I must choose, my friends. We must choose either the Bible 
or tradition. The Bible or tradition, God's commandments or the traditions of man. Sabbath, the seal of God or Sunday, which is the mark of authority of the church of Rome, which will one day be the mark of the beast enforced today. It hasn't been enforced, but one day the mark of the beast will be enforced. And every single person, every man, woman, and child will need to make their stand for or against Christ. In Revelation 22, verse 14, Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Oh, my friends, Jesus so much wants you to be part of, of his everlasting kingdom of love. He wants you to enter through the gates into that beautiful city, the new Jerusalem, and he's inviting you to come in. And he says to all those that are willing to hear, all those that have ears to hear, he says, blessed. Well, that word there, blessed, is the word happy. Happy are those who do his commandments. You remember the words of Jesus in John 14, 15. Jesus said, if you love me, Keep my commandments, not to be saved. No, no, no. But because they already are saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. My friend, would you like to to make a decision with me by the grace of God and through his strength to keep the commandments, to keep all of God's Ten Commandments, including the one that begins with the word remember. The time has come for us to make a choice. There are not many Not much time left on the clock. You know that, I know that, we all know that. God is inviting us to make a stand. Jesus is inviting us. And I want to pray with you right now. And I pray that you will make a stand. You will make a stand for Jesus to accept him with all your heart, soul, strength and mind, to love him with all your heart and by his grace and through his strength to keep all of his Ten Commandments. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you so much for your truth. Father, we thank you that today we didn't need to go to Google. We didn't need to go to any of those 70-odd million websites that have something to say about the mark of the beast. We went to the sure word of prophecy, and there we discovered the beautiful truths from your word. Oh, Lord, it's my prayer that every single person makes a choice to be sealed with your seal, Father, to have your name written in their foreheads. So, Father, we pray that as we make our decision to to give our hearts and our lives to Christ because of our love for Jesus to keep his commandments, all of his commandments, Father, that you'll give us the strength and the willingness to do that. Forgive us, Father, for the things that we have done that have not been in harmony with your precious will for our lives. But we pray, Father, from this day onwards, And even more so, as we see your coming approaching, that we will seek to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So bless us, and we thank you for being with us here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio. 